Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who were diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia between 2011 and 2014. Marina and Ron were treated with chemotherapy and a stem cell transplant, and Michael, who was treated with chemotherapy alone. You can find information and support for people with leukaemia at leukaemia.org.au. Each of the podcast participants has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. I think the surprising thing was the speed at which it all happened. Uh, It was less than two weeks from a sense of being well or fine to a point where I was hospitalised. I think... uh, I was at an emergency department when I was told. It was a relief in one sense. Okay, I now know what's wrong with me. But, um, and my next attitude was, right, well, now I know what's wrong with me. It's time to move on. What are we going to do about it? It would have been early August, uh, late July 2011. For a month prior to that, I was feeling extremely tired um, and no energy just uh, run down. Really, I didn't really know what was wrong, but I knew there was something quite wrong with me. Um, I ended up being admitted to the Austin Hospital. Um, uh, I had, once again, family around me, and it was I was diagnosed that night with acute myeloid leukaemia. I'd have to say my diagnosis was terribly unexpected. Um, I actually went into the hospital to, because I had a sore throat for a long period of time, I was losing weight, and I thought it was just my tonsils. It, I was at um, in the emergency department still, just they took me off into a side room and one of the um, haematologists came in and sort of like said, well, we've got a result from your blood test. And um, I suppose I was a little bit confused for a little bit to understand exactly what it was. Um, uh, and I said leukaemia and things like that. And, they, and so I was a little bit confused to how, what exactly it was, but I thought, well, okay, they've said the word leukaemia. That's not a good word. Um, and so I said, basically, where do I go from here? One of the, the hematologists came and sat down and said, right, and, and she gave me a really good explanation of, of what leukaemia was and, and how I'd been affected. I think she may have been the first person that mentioned this is going to be at least a six-month treatment and I think for me that was probably the biggest shock of all to know that I was going to be receiving treatment for six months and it seemed like an eternity. There's a lot of information coming at once and your ability to absorb that information is very low. Um, I think uh, you manage to get key points um, and but the detail is it becomes quite a bit of a blur. Uh, it, I because there's so much going on, and it's you, you've just got so much. Um, when you when you were told that 
when you've received diagnosis, you are going through a, a type of shock, I suppose, and your ability to take on a lot of information is limited in that stage. Um, so I can understand their need to want to get you information in early so you're not ignorant of what's ahead of you. Um, but it really, it, it, you only just grasp some of the points. You really don't get a lot of the detail into it. I think I was a little bit naive about it all, to be honest with you. Wendy, my wife, was um, very realistic about it all and she knew the severity of it. Um, I basically just wanted to, let's get on with it, guys, whatever it is, let's get on with it. And um, um, the sooner I can get over it, not knowing how severe it really was, uh, the sooner I'm out of here. That was that was, was going through my mind at the time. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, you'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. There was very little decisions I needed to make. Uh, at that stage, um, the disease had um, taken over to, to an extent where they needed to start treatment as soon as they could. I didn't think I had a choice. I also, these were professional medical people. I haven't got the knowledge and in, I didn't know exactly what was going wrong on with my particular, in my particular case. Um, these are people who are very well, well, very well, uh, the knowledge that they have is incredible. And um, I, in, in, in them I trust, and I used to say that to them, in them I trust. Um, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't have even considered I was in the right place in a, in a large hospital with all the facilities, all the amenities, the um, knowledge of the nursing staff even administrating all of this chemo was just amazing. Um, and I thought, well, just let's get on with it. Yeah, ba basically, um, I got the positive diagnosis from the um, bone marrow trans um, biopsy, so it was AML, acute myeloid leukaemia, um, and they the specialist ran through the procedure of what they of treatment that they preferred, basically, and so I wasn't going to come sort of say, hey, what about this and that? Um, I. Funnily enough, I, I still to today, I've never Googled leukaemia. Um, I, I, know it's a, I know what it is and things like that, and I've read books and pamphlets that the nurses and things gave me, but I basically put my faith and my trust into what was happening with the specialists and things like that. I distinctly remember that the, uh, the nurse came in and she had a, a plethora of reading material. She had a lot of handouts, booklets, and she took the time and sat down with me and my wife and literally at least I think it was up to two hours worth going through all the reading material and, 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 and um, she gave me the opportunity to ask questions and ensure that when she'd finished sitting down and having that discussion I had a really good understanding of what was going on and what was ahead of me. I suppose the hospital I was in, the, the nurses, the specialists, they felt like they knew what they were doing um, I got support from social worker came in and I had brochures to read and things like that and I didn't feel like I um, didn't need to question, you know, sort of I felt there was a, a, um, a confidence and a responsibility from the specialists 
that this is the procedure and the way of treatment to go. When the chances were to do trials, absolutely. You know, well, you'll benefit from them. That will, you will benefit, absolutely. Um, um, the opportunity for a stem. Would you be interested in a stem cell transplant? Was initial, and I thought, oh, I thought I wasn't quite eligible. Well, we've got someone who's a very good match. If you're interested, Ab in a heartbeat, bang, let's yeah. do it. Let's do it yesterday. Unfortunately, um, the only thing I could do to manage the responsibilities in my life was pass them all onto my partner, take care of. I think, yeah, I think I was burdening her. I think uh, that, that, that I knew that my life at that stage, I was full with so many other uh, commitments apart from full-time work that um, to be able to sit there and, and ask her to manage all of those and make those phone calls and, and, and talk to those people about what's going on. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received, as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects, and they can vary from person to person, depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. The treatment starts off with um, what they call induction, which is a fairly intense 24 hours, days um, worth of, of chemotherapy that they uh, go through, um, through an intravenous line. And um, once that happens, um, after seven days of this chemotherapy, um, basically the, the bone marrow is, is affected to a point where all your blood counts are just dropped down. That your bone marrow stops producing um, blood products and um, it almost resets and then starts rebuilding hopefully good blood cells. Well, I went through the chemo treatment as planned. I won't go in, no need to go into the details of what it was, but when that, that was successful, I was back into remission. Um, uh, this is over a period of probably three months. Uh, I had bone marrow biopsies, but there was always, um, appeared to be a, a rogue cell, as it was called by the, my professor looking after me. They couldn't eliminate this rogue cell and the uh, leukaemia cell would be there, would be back again. Now I went through, I suppose, another dose of chemo. Um, this is over a period of weeks. As it turned out, there was a uh, um, um, stem cell donor from America. But in the meantime, um, I relapsed again. So that was off the table. I went through another dose of chemo and lo and behold, I was offered a um, stem cell uh, transplant recipient from Brisbane. When your immunity system is compromised, they have to put you in a place of isolation and you are stuck in this area for a time till your immunity system has restored itself. In order to get through that, I found that the best way was to have a daily routine that gave structure to my day. And it was things, simple things as I would wake up in the morning, shower, and I would get dressed in normal clothes. I found it much better to walk around in normal clothes, fully dressed, rather than stay in my pajamas all day, just to give some sort of normality to my day. A small amount of exercise was always a good thing. So I would walk up and down the ward, taking my um, pump with me, listening to some music through some headphones maybe, and you maybe set yourself a goal. 45 minutes worth of exercise, or I'm gonna get through 10 songs. And by that stage, usually at the end of that, you'll find fairly exhausted, go and lie down. 
when I first went into hospital, I think that was my ignorance that I probably saw the bed as my safe spot because when I had visitors, I was isolated um, and the bed was my place that I was and I wasn't moving around as much and I think that's why I ended up in intensive care by not keeping my body moving. When I went back in to get the transplant, I kept up a routine. I um, I made sure I got up every morning, had a shower, um, changed, got out of bed and stayed out of bed until at the end of the night when I was ready to go back to bed. That's when I went back to bed. I sat up. Um, there was exercise bike at the hospital, so I rode that um, to keep myself moving around. I walked around. I was a little bit more engaged in hospital life then, I suppose, when I was in isolation the second time, you know, to go in for the treatment, yeah, for the bone marrow transplant. When you do go to your doctor's appointments and things, you do need you do need someone like a partner, a husband, a wife, someone to pick up the uh, nitty gritty or the um, the detail. Chemo brain does exist. Mm. Chemo brain does exist, and um, you're not quite. You know, I'm so glad that I had Wendy come with me who really picked up on everything that you don't realise it at the time, but it just goes right, you know, goes over the top of your head actually. Simple things like having earplugs in at night at least cut the amount of external sound down and gave you a chance to sleep well. Having something as simple as your own pillow made such a big difference. It was just something that was something you, you were used to, something that was reassuring. I think the carer does a, is is uh, um, so much more worse off because life goes on normally for them and they've doubled their load of work. They don't know how you're travelling. They've got to run the place. They've got to talk to everyone. It's a pretty tough gig to be a carer, I think. And she was coming and going every day and I naturally would say, we'll see you tomorrow, not knowing that she had an hour on the road at least and an hour back again. In this final section, what helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. For me, I found that um, I, my body was was the, was my body was the one that was sick, and that I had no control over what it was doing. I had no control over the treatment and the results of the side effects. I had no result, no no control over any uh, infections I got or fevers, those sorts of things. And the only thing I had control over was was my mental state. That's the only thing I was able to manage, and that's the one thing I really focus a lot on. Be positive about who you are. Don't take the negative on on yourself. Um, allow yourself the freedom to sort of think that this is going to be okay, not think the opposite. You know, don't take on the negative dwelling. Um, have fun, laugh with your family, with your support people. You know, um, be engaging with the people around you, like the nurses. You're going to see them an awful lot. So, you know, it's, you know, you always want to be sort of happy, you know, they're doing their job, they don't have to be there, but um, they're looking after you, so be aware that sort of like they're not trying to hurt you in any way, they're trying to treat you, you know, so be nice to the people around you. Oh, I knew that I was going to have good days, days where I was feeling positive, days where I was feeling good, 
physically and my mind was clear. And there were days where I was feeling low and there were days where I didn't want to get out of bed. And, and you've got to understand that that's going to happen to you. You're going to have these highs and you're going to have these lows. And, and I think what you've got to do is look what is what is driving you forward. You know, is it that wish to get through treatment and go back to the life you had? Is it the wish to um, come, you know, be back with your family and be at home? Anyone who has, has just been diagnosed with AML, once they're on the recovery of it, certainly physio, exercise um, is, is a huge benefit in helping you get back to your prior normal self. Um, I can't say that more strongly, actually. You know, I hate to use a term like there is the light at the end of the tunnel, but there is, there is a new day happening tomorrow. So um, you, if you keep the focus on that, the new day happening tomorrow, then you will, you will get through it. You've also got to understand that um, there, there, is, there is an opportunity here to really see what are the important things and really start to focus on those things. And you'll start to realise that, you know, sometimes you'll learn little things like, don't sweat the small stuff, you know? Um, are, you, are, you, uh, are you interacting with your children? Could you do it more, you know? You could, there's one of those things I, I learned was, um, you can never not give your children enough hugs. Simple as that. Uh, plans now, I'm back at work. I must admit, sort of like after, after the bone marrow transplant, they, they advised me that, yes, I am going to be fatigued. And I thought, yeah, that won't happen. I'll be fine. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you do actually get a little bit fatigued and it does take a little while to get back into fitness. I will never run a marathon. Sorry, but I'm not going to be doing that. I'm enjoying life. I'm catching up with friends and family. I'm back at work. Um, and um, I'm back doing my volunteer work that I do as well. And I'm having a really good time. I've got fantastic friends. And um, second chance at life. We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include, learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said, and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information. Seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20, where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org.au And to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment, check out the What to Expect guides at www.cancerpathways.org.au As a final piece of advice, 
Please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. You can then follow the link to the video you want. Our thanks go to Marina, Michael and Ron who generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.